Right, okay, so it's time for the Christmas special. Christmas! Yeah. I've got my, no one obviously can see this, but I've got my Christmas jump on, <laughs> which is a dark All right, all right. <laughs> Ticking off here. Yeah. <laughs> I've got uh, the nasty drinking stuff that we we have right. every week, <laughs> and I've got a mince pie. Although it's not yeah, homemade, it's, it's not homemade. Sarah's, Sarah's will be homemade. I can't live up to that. Yes, kind. we are going to do homemade ones soon and share them with neighbours. Actually, because we usually have friends round and neighbours round, we decided instead we'll deliver mince pies to our neighbours. And are you going to deliver them with with a carol? No. You've heard my singing, Rob. Can you imagine my husband turning up and sounding like the guy from Love Actually with P.P. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Grant and him <laughs> working restless? <there. laughs> Remember that? Yes, I do. No, there you go. Um, no, I think we'd have lots of doors slammed in our faces if we weren't round. They'd just quickly take the mince pie and shut the door, probably. Well, I think we'd probably just leave them there and then ding on the doorbell and run away. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then probably find some fox or something like that. Or we'll probably eat the mince pie instead. They probably have no clue that there's this on their doorstep. <laughs> oh, anyway, yes, you have a very cool. It says, "This is my." Go on, show it again. It's a picture of Darth Vader, and it says, "This is my jolly face." <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I'm very this jealous a, about this. This is a Primani special, of course. <laughs> bought, bought, bought in haste one lunchtime when I decided my other jumper was yeah. felt like a, a furnace. I've just got a Twinkly Star jumper, and that's all I have. But I have been debating whether I should buy a Christmas jumper this year, considering I'm not really going to go to yeah. any, any do's or it's a bit you know, weird. Show, show it off. I think there's going to be quite a lot of kind of Zoom Christmas do's. That's true. So, yes. So There will be. Therefore, will be. you've just made my decision for me. I will get a Christmas jumper. You are very right. We will have lots of Zoom meetings. I actually do know what. I wouldn't be surprised that people will go to more of an effort for how they look on a Zoom Christmas do than if they just turned up. I've got a like a senior management Sounds very posh. Senior management, Christmas yeah, I feel, I feel a, I feel a plug coming for the other podcast. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so I've just launched another podcast, Blazing Business Trails. There you go, that's the plug. Um, no, I'm going to Christmas do with my stakeholders and the leaders of each of these departments. And I don't know what to wear. Do I turn up in a Christmas jumper or do I turn up like I'm wearing a proper dress and, and stuff? Well, have you got any kind of inkling as what the vibe no, is? No, it just says Christmas drink, but it's with really senior people. You might have to go in the middle, not like novelty maybe, style. Maybe a bit sort of sparkly, maybe. I don't, think, I don't know whether I've got anything sparkly. <laughs> surely, surely you've got someone on the inside who can tip you off as to what kind of... I think I might have to ask. But if you do that, yeah. someone winds you up. Yeah. Someone could easily just say it's fancy, it's Christmas, proper all-out Christmas fancy yeah, dress. turn up as an elf or something like that. That's, That's right. It'll be, like that. It'll be like that mm. scene from Big when he turns up at the uh, corporate drink stew. In that, <laughs> in that <laughs> white tuxedo. Bright white tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So we've got a slightly different session today, haven't we? We're going to do 10 Things I Hate About You and the Shawshank Redemption reviews. And then we're going to go into, because this is our last one before Christmas, because we're going to have a little bit of a break. Are we going to do our top three? We can do Christmas our top three films? Christmas films, yeah. And then the top one is the one that we review into next year. That's right. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Christmas films, to be fair. So it's mm-hmm. an excuse for me to actually watch. Mine's a mix of Christmas and New Year anyway. So, But you'll find out later. Oh, what a tease. What it is. 
<laughs> in that case, let's quickly get the two reviews out of the way. Yeah, should we go for happy, jolly one or for the serious one? Let's go happy, jolly first. So, happy, so jolly Shawshank is... Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really jolly film. That is so, a, 10 Things on. I Hate About You, then. Should we go for that one? 10 Things I Hate About You. Go on, then. Yeah, off you go. So released in 1999, directed by Jill Younger, and it's based on Shakespeare Taming of the Shrew. In this case, Julia Stiles, who plays Cat Stratford. Do you like the, the surname Stratford there? I don't think it's Taming of the Shrew. They have Stratford, do they? But they do I'm, have Verona. You're eating your mince I'm pie. I'm eating a mince pie. You to talk I, thought, you're I didn't think you were going to be ask, ask me anything. Because so I, I did it on purpose, because you're eating your mince oh, pie. That's so, that's so cruel. <laughs> right, carry on. All right. And so, yeah, so Julia Stiles plays Kat Stratford and is basically, she's the shrew in this, in this case. So it's all set teenage high school. And we've got Bianca, who's played by Larissa Oynick. Oynick? I can't pronounce the surname. Oil Slick. Oh, oil, oil Slick. I don't know. <laughs> I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what it sounded like. When Oleinik. 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 Okay, Oleinik. Oleinik. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I shut up. She might listen to our podcast. Might be taking the mick out of us. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. These celebrities oh might That's listen. One other listener you've got rid of right there. Yes. All right, okay. Right. So Bianca, let's start again. <laughs> Bianca, who's played by Larissa Orlenic, has two boys. <laughs> Rob's, Rob's dropping bits of mince pie out of his mouth because I got the... Does that sound right, the surname? <laughs> This is going to be the longest, <laughs> the longest. Longest intro. I'll get yeah, on with yeah, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, basically a couple of lads want to go out with her. And her dad, who's a gynecologist, says, nobody can go out with you until your older sister is dating someone at the same time. Which is like, really? The parents really want both children to go out with someone? I was like, wow. Anyway, so... Cameron, who's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and his friend Michael, played by David Comholtz, plans to find Bianca's sister a date. However, there's also a rich boy, Joey, who has uh, money and buys this new kid, Patrick's time, and, and gets him to date Kat, who's the sister. And he agrees, and they end up liking each other, and then she finds out about the deal that they've made with Joey, and I'll leave it as that. But the reason why I like it is it's a first hit for Heath Ledger. And uh, he's gorgeous. He is gorgeous. He's gorgeous. I'm not sure where I find him gorgeous now. I know he's passed away, unfortunately. But yeah, at the time, I found him gorgeous. And the music is quite cool as well. You've got uh, Sexy Boy by Air. You've got the Cardigans playing. You've got Joan Armour Trading. So you've got a bit of a mix of music. And then Kids in America as well was played. And it's just easy to watch film. It's, an, um, it's a romance that we chose last week. So nice, easy to watch romance. So Rob, have you finished your mouthful with your mince pie? Good timing. I've just finished. Great. Do you want a drink before you... you no, you I, finished my, I finished my drink, sadly. <laughs> go, go ahead. What did you think then, Rob? I found it a little bit disjointed. So I, it, was, it was like a film that, for me, never properly got in its stride because I thought Heath Ledger stole the show in it. And he was obviously like the cool kid. You know, whenever he was on camera and the scenes he was in... I don't know, I thought he was cool and then the rest of the characters kind of weren't cool and I wanted some of the other characters to be as cool as him to make it feel a bit more like it would be... I guess I just wanted it to be more of an indie type of mm. 
film. He was acceptable cool, though, wasn't he? He was more acceptable cool, whereas Joey was, was cool as well, but in a different way. The kid who played Cameron, Joseph That's, Gordon yeah. Levitt, he reminded me a bit of the kid who was in American Pie. Yes. He was just really middle of the road, kind of relatively bland character, and the colourful characters were all around him, like Cat and Patrick and Bianca. The premise, like you say, was quite strange, wasn't it? It's only actually when you've just said it then that it's actually made me think that the only way Bianca can get a date is if she somehow makes sure that her stuck-up older sister with a huge chip on her shoulder is not interested in uh, boys at all, that she gets a date. But it is quite Mm. a strange premise. It is, yep. And then you've kind of got two people vying for... Bianca. Then you've got Patrick, who I felt like didn't ever seem interested in Cat. You know, obviously, where the whole film's going. Because it's a romance, and maybe this is just the issue I've got with romances, is because you just know, you know that Patrick is going to get together with Cat. You know that's what's going to happen. And you know that Cameron is going to get together with Bianca. So because you know what the resolution is, it's then really just about how they get there and how good that bit is. And I didn't feel like the chemistry with Heath Ledger's character, Patrick, and Julia Starr's character, Cat, was, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't feel it was as electric as, let's say, what's the film we, we reviewed? The Notebook. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, but can I on. comment on that one? Okay. That's really interesting because it was up to a point and they had a really good snog. <laughs> And I thought, oh, they're kissing quite nicely, or it's okay to watch, if you know what I mean. Sounds very odd saying that. And then I thought, hang on a minute, are they going out? Yes, they went out and started dating. Yeah, no, I saw film. that. And then a couple of years later, split up. Interesting that you're making those comparisons, yeah. Yeah, in parts, there were lots of cool bits. There's, there's quite a lot of scenes that I thought were really engaging. And to be honest, it was mostly because of Heath Ledger. For me, he was just head and shoulders apart from any other actor in that film. And I think for me, that's why it felt disjointed. It's almost like this amazing actor in this relatively low-key mainstream film. And no one was almost on a par with him. And whilst I know he was supposed to be, you know, the slightly cool outsider... He, well, he wasn't enough like that, was he? You, like you say, he, he was kind of, he was a nice, cool guy. Um, I'm finding it hard, I suppose, to try and put into words what I think. It's almost like Heath Ledger was almost too good for the film. And as a result, I felt like it never kind of properly chimed. It never got into its stride. There were elements where it felt like, oh, yeah, this is rich, this is now moving along. But then, then it kind of almost felt like it slipped back into too much of a very predictable coming-of-age romance. Yeah. I suppose what I'm saying is it was really promising in parts because of Heath Ledger. So, for example, the scene where he does that song in the stands of the football pitch, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Yeah, Yeah, and he's he's kind of running up and down. It's like, wow, that's his stage. I liked this for watching Heath Ledger. And of course, when I was watching him, I think I sent you a message, didn't I? Every time I saw him smile, I just thought... Yeah, he's got a massive smile, hasn't he? Because his hair was kind of similar in some ways to Mm -hmm. the Joker, even under all the makeup. But also in the stadium when he was 
kicking his legs. That reminded me of the Joker as well. Yeah, but no, absolutely right. It was when he went into full oh. on showing exactly what he could do, like in the tender moments and in the more outlandish moments. That mm. was great. But oh. I think the character of Cats annoyed me after a while. And it's almost impossible for a comedy to lead you one way and then it goes another. Like you just knew right from the start because he was, it's like a bet. He was being paid to try and woo mm. Cat. You just knew what was going to happen. You thought, okay, here we go. He's doing this thing for money. And quite clearly, they're going to end up falling for each other. And then she's going to find out. And then he's got to have somehow <laughs> win her back. And so you know it's all going to happen. So that's what I mean. That's why it's then it's just about how much it holds your attention during the bits in between. So I liked it because I haven't really seen hardly any um, Heath Ledger films, to be honest. Mm. I'm thinking now. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw him, obviously, Joker and this I haven't seen Broke Bat Mountain. What other films would you say? The oh, Patriot, he was in. The yeah. Patriot, and he was in that uh, Joust. A Knight's Tale. Knight's Tale is probably, I think, potentially a better role for him, and and that's a romance as well. I think that one's quite good. Yeah. But as I say, if you think about this film, for me, you just think about him. It took me ages to realise it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt as yeah. Cameron. Yeah, he looks exactly the same when he was in Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, yeah, he was in that as well. Mm. Because he's all over um, Netflix at the moment. You know, he's yeah. in so many films. It's almost like he's having a bit of a renaissance now, like, you know, at this mm. stage in his career. Yeah, it took me ages to realise who he was because he looks so familiar. And again, the soundtrack had a very cool soundtrack. That's why it just felt like I wanted it to stay as cool as it was in some parts with Heath Ledger, mm. with the cool soundtrack, with a bit of a rebellious feel to it. For me, there just wasn't enough of that. Yeah, I just felt it came across a little bit dated. I mean, the film was in 1999. I, as I said, I liked it because really because of the music. But on occasions, the music would start and there was like looking at each other, what do we do now kind of scenario. And it's just like, oh, they could have edited that out. But yeah, I mean, this is probably Heath Ledger's and, and Julia Stiles' big break, really. You've got Heath Ledger, who is in Home and Away, and came across, and, and this was his big break in 10 Things I Hate About You, but yeah, he did The Patriot and Knight's Tale and Brokeback Mountain. He did incredibly well in Brokeback Mountain, but it was the Joker that, if he'd stayed alive, I'm hoping he still would have got the, the Oscar as well for Dark Knight. But isn't it interesting that his first film that he, or first production that he did, was called Clowning Around, and one of his last second to last was was the joker in a similar kind of role i was gutted actually when i heard that he passed away but yeah i like julia stars as well i think she's great in the born series and which she started in 2002 ah she was she's in also, that yeah she's very good okay. in that and then yeah, she she's is. also You're been right. in mona lisa smile and recently i think she went off and had a baby and then she's done riviera a tv series as well but i always like her presence on she comes across quite serious slightly geeky but serious but not your I would say my husband put it in this way she's not a natural beauty but she's beautiful at the same time it's it's a she's a kind of unusual beauty she's always comes across quite smart and she does in this film as well she's not stupid she's she knows what's, what's happening and she doesn't accept these boys because they're just horrible um some of the boys in this film like joey played by andrew keegan 
Yeah, and then we got Jason Gordon-Levitt. So took these three actors in this film have gone on to do greater things. We've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was an Inception looper, and I liked him in Snowden as well. He's now about 39. I think we're going to see a lot more of him and potentially getting some Oscars later on. He's certainly doing more serious roles going forwards now as well. There was apparently something I thought was quite amusing. Of course, the connection with Gordon-Levitt and Ledger was that Ledger was the Joker and Gordon Levitt plays Robin in sort of like, you know, and so apparently when (laughs) in the advertising campaign for The Dark Knight Rises, someone took a still from 10 Things I Hate About You of Ledger and Gordon Levitt in the cafeteria together with the caption, that moment when you find out the Joker and Robin went to high school together. (laughs) And apparently it went viral, which I thought was really, which I thought was really amusing. You know, it's just one of those ones where I just wanted it to properly kick into gear and it it never quite Mm -hmm. did. I was thinking though, whilst I watch it, it's very, very hard to pull off this kind of film. I mean, Juno set the bar for this combination of comedy, romance, but also with a kind of serious tone to it. The bit actually that I found the most impactful with this was when Kat reads the poem to the class and she just completely breaks down and it's just like, wow, where where did that come from? That gave it a bit of a kind of an emotional edge that Mm. I would have liked to have seen in more places in the film. There's a girl in this who's kind of obsessed with Shakespeare that Michael wins over. And apparently in the original script there were a lot darker tones to the story. So, for example, that character who loved Shakespeare, there were supposed to be kind of elements of suicidal thoughts that she had, themes of suicide with her obsession with Shakespeare. And I'm not saying that I wanted it to necessarily go that far, but I would have just liked to have seen a few, like, darker edges to it, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, no, it's um, it's easy watching. It's not my ultimate favourite romance because I think Juno I gave ten out of ten. It, it it had aged a little bit, but no. What are you going to give it? What score are you going to give it? I'm going to give it seven out of ten. It sounds like I'm really criticising it. It's just didn't quite become the film I wanted it to be. But yeah. Ledger is an amazing screen presence, even in a teen comedy. He's an amazing mm. screen presence. Mm. I like the fact that it's based on Taming of the Shrew and that they try to have a modern version of that. So it's got some, it's quite a little bit clever on that side. And it's an easy watching film. I, I've written down seven out of ten as well. So I just think it, it, it's a little bit dated, but it is a sweet film to watch and worth a watch anyway. And it had outtakes at the end in the credits, which I always like. Yes, yes. All good. So on to Shawshank, on the dark side or the more serious side, we go to the Shawshank Redemption. So this was released in 1994, directed by Frank Darabont, who went on to direct another prison film, The Green Mile. It was based on a short story by Stephen King, which was called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Then the screenplay was written by the director as well, Frank Darabont. Stars Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman and Bob Gunton. I didn't realise it's another one of those films that you can't believe didn't win an Oscar. So this was nominated for seven awards, but didn't win any because it was the year of Forrest Gump. But that's good as well. Though. Which is, you know, so yeah. that's a bit unfortunate, really, when you come up against such a huge mainstream film. So this is set in the 1940s onwards. Um, we begin in court as 
Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, is sentenced to two life sentences, accused of the murder of his wife and lover. I, I kind of found that you're never really supposed to know whether he did shoot them both or not. Mm. The way the film is set up, it's did he or didn't he? Um, he pleads his innocence, claiming that, you know, yes, he turned up to do the act, but he backed out, claiming that he just drove away from the house and threw his gun in the lake, which was never found. So he arrives at Shawshank State Penitentiary, and as he files in with his fellow inmates, it's almost like they're on parade. All of the other prisoners are kind of watching behind the fence. And we have Ennis Redding, nicknamed Red, played by Morgan Freeman, and he's kind of watching on. He's one of the inmates, and he's like a contraband smuggler, and he's taking bets on which of these newbies will break first. And, you know, so he's betting on Andy, because Andy is this very unassuming, tall, lanky, you know, unlikely-looking prisoner. It's Red who then really picks up the narration of the film, and this is probably what it's most known for, isn't it, is Morgan Freeman's narration. So, so we kind of see events unfold through Red's eyes as well as through those of Andy. Um, and like all prisoners, Andy has to endure two years almost of abuse by a gang of inmates. So he's continually beaten up. He's threatened with rape. I don't think it actually ever happens, although I'd have read somewhere that it's supposed to have happened. I wonder if in the novel it did. Yeah, maybe in the novel. And, and this just becomes his routine and he just has to get through this. But all the while, he kind of still just keeps himself to himself. So right from the start, he almost appears numbly to his fate from the courthouse where the judge remarks that he's kind of cold and emotionless through to this horrible punishment he has to endure at the prison. And then watching on, as I say, with this curiosity is Red, who, who Andy eventually starts to talk to and initially asks him if he can get a small rock hammer smuggled in for him. Uh, he claims it's just for a hobby, like stone carving, and we subsequently see him create these chess pieces out of the rocks that Red and his crew kind of smuggle in for him. So this is his way of slowly integrating into Red's little gang. Uh, and Red and Andy then become firm friends. And uh, in actual fact, another thing that he asks him to smuggle in is a poster of Rita Hayworth, which is obviously a direct reference to the name of the book. And it's not just this poster that's in his cell. There's one of Raquel Welch and, you know... Marilyn Monroe as Marilyn well. Marilyn Monroe, and one of yeah. them. <laughs> and one of them obviously plays a significant part, which is the reveal at the end of the film. When the prison warden, played by Bob Gunton announces this public detail. Red, who regularly does deals with the guards, gets them cigarettes. He's picked along with Andy and their crew to take part. So whilst on this public detail, which is when they're kind of tarmacking a roof, Andy overhears one of the guards talking about his financial frustrations with his inheritance tax. And because Andy is a banker by profession, he kind of offers some advice. And reluctantly, this prison guard accepts and lets Andy manage his affairs to hide the inheritance tax. And the only thing he asks for is a few cold beers for his mates. And that's really the moment where things change for him. He completely wins the respect of all of his, you know, all of Red and all of his crew. And at that point, of course, the guards and the staff themselves start to use Andy more and more, not just people filing tax returns, for example. He ends up working in the offices of the warden. And not only that, the sisters never attack him again. In actual fact, one of the prison guards beats up Boggs, the leader of the sisters' gang, 
almost as a way of kind of protecting Andy, as in don't touch him again. And he gets wheeled out of the prison to another prison. Mm. He's almost untouchable. And, you know, then he starts to lobby for public funding because he wants to improve this kind of relatively dilapidated library, which is run by this old inmate guy called Brooks. And eventually he gets money through to do that. But whilst he's kind of almost working on the inside, he's still prone to kind of breaking the rules. You know, so there's one moment where he decides to lock the door of the warden's office, put on a record which plays this opera music to every, you know, to all the prison. And so you've got all of these prisoners suddenly looking up in the yard, listening to this music. It's really a profound moment for me, Mm. actually. You know, it's such a big deal for these prisoners to hear music. It's totally stuns them. And so, you know, it's acts like that that means he gets put in the hole up to two months at one particular point, because I think the wardens almost see him as a threat. You know, he knows that he can blackmail them if he ever gets out. And so they're always quick to kind of put him down. But even though he's put in the hole for like a month at a time and then another month, far from breaking, he still just sticks to what he always does. He just quietly gets on with his business. He never really completely is crushed until on a prison inspection, his cell is found empty. Uh, And so subsequently, you know, we learn that during all of this time where you're seeing him suffering, then obviously what we don't know is that he's been slowly tunneling his way out of his cell, which is concealed by the Raquel Welch poster. And I don't think it gives too much away. I mean, it is obviously a spoiler, but I think most people have probably know the story and have seen the film yeah um, because there's still a lot there's still i won't talk about the moment <laughs> later on which really solidifies this incredible friendship between morgan freeman's character of red and tim robbins character of andy you know because this this whole film really i mean yes obviously it's a film about redemption it's a film about courage and hope and never giving up but i think for me it felt like it at its heart it was a film about friendship and loyalty I say, I think I say, say this so often. I have only watched this once before. I didn't realise at that point it was a, based on a book. I did find when I watched it, it did feel like it was a book adapted for the screen. But that's not taking anything away from it. So, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. You must have obviously seen this before. Yeah, I saw it. I, and I, I can't remember if it was either VHS or, or DVD. It was quite a long time ago because it was in 1994, wasn't it? I, I have watched it all the way through once before and then I saw a snippet of it more recently and I watched the end of it recently. My husband watched it and I sort of caught the end of it, really. It is a very good film and actually one of my husband's favourite film. I have to be honest, I was kind of putting off watching this again because I know it's quite long and it's quite dark and it's hard to see what prison life is 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 like. But it is a story of hope, which my husband reminded me of as well he said it's a story of hope and he said yeah you're right it is the fact that he's convicted of of committing this crime at at the start you don't know whether he has or hasn't committed or not and actually could he have put this person up for committing that crime as well you just do not know really but yeah I was a bit put off at the start and then I got into it and it is excellently acted and well written I love the fact you get these aerial views of the prison as well it didn't look like a prison. It, to me, it looks like a, like an old 
school or a boss could be a borstal school potentially rather than an actual prison and i was thinking well that's, that's quite a nice prison but then when you get inside it looks all dark and dingy and very very small cells and the scene where they first when andy first arrives and they're all sort of chained together and they're kind of picking off who's going to be beaten up first by the guard and actually the one of the guards kills one of them at the start as well which is quite horrible and later on you know he does get done for that as well which is you know rightly so but the fact that he's that andy earns their respect and he and the fact that he also becomes like a financial advisor he's educating those in in there he's got a strong legacy when he leaves and then it's sad about brooks he was assistant to brooks for the library initially at the start and it's sad that this guy was he 60 years in prison or something like that he then leaves and then he just doesn't know everything. He says in narration before he went to prison, he saw like one car in his lifetime and then he goes out and then there are cars everywhere and he's like almost getting run over because he just doesn't know how to cross the road anymore. And it's just things like that. And he becomes, he helps out at a, a supermarket and it's just really sad. And, and, the thing is, though, should we be feeling sad for these prisoners? Because they've obviously committed a horrible crime. You know, it's light and dark, really, that you have in this. It's a bit like when you watch The Orange is the New Black. It's Some of that's quite entertaining, but it's really raw at the same time. And then you know that you get to like certain characters. And a bit like this film, you get to like certain characters. But actually, they've committed horrible crimes, really, when you think about it. I'm actually quite shocked that I've only really known Morgan Freeman as an older man. So he plays Ellis Boyd Redding in this film. And it, I mean, he fought off Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Paul Newman. They were all up for potentially playing this part. And actually, Red in the novel is a middle-aged, grey, redhead and a white Irishman. And they'd leave that little joke about the Irish, yeah, I'm an Irishman kind of joke in the film as well. And he's obviously not, he's not none of those at all. So it's being called Red. You do associate having potentially slightly red hair. I mean, he's he's fantastic in this film. You couldn't imagine really anyone else playing this film either. And I, I love Morgan Freeman. I think he's great as Lucius Fox in the Batman uh, series. Um, probably my favourite film. I, I like seeing him in is Seven, which he did in 1995 as well. So great actor. Tim Robbins, I've got a soft spot for as well. First time I, I saw him was in Jacob's Ladder and then he was in The Player in 1992. And then he played this role in Shawshank Redemption. And uh, enjoyed watching him in Arlington Road. He's been in Mystic River. And, and more recently in Dark Waters, which is also on my list now, which is a very gritty, true story that comes to light. But all the actors are fantastic. All the script is fantastic. The light and dark, the cinematography, I guess, is, is really good. I don't know what they got Oscars for. I haven't got that list, but I do know that Morgan Freeman was nominated for actor in a leading role for Shawshank Redemption. I was surprised by that, because shouldn't Tim Robbins be the lead role? I suppose it's tricky. Yeah, you'd say that obviously Tim Robbins is the main lead, but Morgan Freeman does get a lot of screen time. You know, he's mm. probably slightly more prominent than a typical supporting actor. But but they didn't win any Oscars. That's that's what no, I found. No, no, no. But I mean, Morgan Freeman, going back to his his career, I mean, he's been nominated quite a few roles. Um, Driving Miss Daisy, Invictus, Street Smart as well. The role that he got um, an Oscar for was Best Supporting Actor for a Million Dollar a baby as well I'm yeah I'm really shocked that none of them got any Oscars for, for Shawshank because it is so beautifully done 
it's sad and it does bring you a tear to your eye towards the end especially and when you see Tim Robbins character Andy Dufresne getting constantly beaten as well and and yeah apparently it's Stephen King he he wrote the novel it's, it's one of his favorite film adaptions you know we spoke about The Shining the other week and he didn't like that one but this one is definitely uh, one of his favorites and yeah I don't know what else more I can say really it's for me it plodded along a little bit at one point it is what two hours 30 it's- minutes long. Two hours, two hours 20. You're right, it does plod along and I think if it wasn't for the fact, you know, those dulcet tones of Morgan Freeman mm. that just mm. makes it all feel warm and fuzzy and nostalgic yeah. and friendly, it might have struggled to keep your attention as much as it does. But it's just such a solid story as well, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, there's, there's things that we're not touching on here but there's a few things that I thought worked so well about it you highlighted you know what empathy you should really show for these characters because at the end of the day they're in there for serious crimes and even Brooke the old guy who he murdered his his wife you know do you give these guys a second chance so they're they're in prison institutionalized and you know he comes out after like you say however many years it is and he doesn't know he just doesn't know the world it's like he says the world's just gone and got in a massive hurry and he can't cope and obviously the scene where he takes his life is really really powerful because you kind of think well you can well you can never fully understand it but but you can understand how you can't really integrate when you come out. And so it does make you think. You can't help but feel for them. And I suppose if you didn't feel for them, you can't really properly invest. I thought it was also really clever. You know, he's so smart, Andy Dufresne. It's like he's got all bases covered all the time. And when he is doing everybody's accounts, he creates a false identity he actually genuinely creates out of thin air a person and through his knowledge of the legal system creates an ID and a national insurance number and all the accounts held in this person's name. So when he comes out, there's money that's been deposited in this account from all of his dealings with the staff. And of course, that's what he then uses to live the life he wants to live on the outside. So it's almost like it's such sweet revenge Mm, it's everybody in there yeah it's slightly backwards though because on the outside before he went to prison is has he done it or has he not then when he's in he becomes a bit of a crook really but very smart about it and then when he leaves he's 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 still a little bit of a con man because he goes to all these different banks and deposits all these these different amounts doesn't he so it's almost prison converts him into actually a criminal really Yeah, yeah, you, you has, I suppose, like you say, you have to kind of join the system to beat the system, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That, that was his mm-hmm. only way out. But I just love the fact that through all of the punishment he took, he sucked it all up. But not only mm-hmm. that, he kind mm-hmm. of got the last laugh. And I think that's why those little nuggets that you only really... It's a bit like those little nuggets that tie up a film so well, just mm-hmm. makes it all that more, yeah. much more satisfying at the end. Have you been on any tours in any prisons? Because I've been to Alcatraz yeah, in San Francisco, and it's, it is really eerie when you go into these old prisons. And when I was watching the film, I kind of had a bit of a chill to my you know, hairs on arms standing up kind of moment because it was just like, oh, it's horrible when you're looking inside prisons because it just brought back memories of when I actually physically was walking around Alcatraz. Not that I've been to prison. It's <laughs> we were walking around Alcatraz. I've been to San Francisco and I really wish we could have mm. done that, but we, we never did. And it, mm. it, it reminded me of a, a film that I love, which is The Escape 
from Alcatraz, which is a Clint Eastwood film that really just focuses purely on the tunneling and how yeah. that was all hidden. So it, it dealt with that part. Mm. And I must admit, the only thing that I suppose I might question is it took him 19 years to tunnel out of his cell. And I, I do find it amazing that the guards never, never looked behind all of the posters. You, when they're, yeah, when they're turning the, the room Yeah, I mean, like, you, you would have thought that's just kind of like, they, they, they turn everything else down. Mm. And I suppose that's the only thing I didn't particularly buy into, that you know, the how often do they inspect the cells over 19 years and they chose yeah. never to look behind one poster when they basically clear out and look under everything else. And he was also in in a hold or something like that for about a month or two months. And wouldn't somebody else move into that cell whilst during that period? Or was, it's almost like it's been kept reserved always as his room. Surely they move prisoners around. Maybe, and yeah. And bring him when they get a new prisoner. You would have thought somebody would take his, his cell. Yeah. Although, like, you, you know, the whole escape, you never see any part of him tunnelling out. That That's just the reveal at the end. But you kind of you kind of assume something's going to happen. Mm. But they, you, you do make a good point, actually. When he was walking into all the banks, one after the other, there was part of me that thought that surely it's not as easy as he's made out. Because he even leaves a package at one of the banks saying, could I ask you to put this yeah. in your outgoing post? And I'm kind of thinking, well, the address on that outgoing post is to the prison, to, to Red, isn't it? I think so. And I can't help but feel, surely they would have looked at that address, saw that it's something that's going to a prison, and may have questioned it, but I don't know. I'm probably just like being super, super picky, trying to find fault in it when really it probably doesn't matter. There was, I really like the little touches, so Stephen King... Andy's cell number is 237, which is the same oh, number. was it? I didn't realise that. Yeah, oh, the Overlook wow. Hotel in The Shining, <laughs> which I thought was quite a nice little touch. I also thought it was interesting that whilst I knew it was based on a book, I was still interested to know whether there was anything factual or any characters that were loosely based on real events. Apparently not. And Stephen King says it was purely a culmination of all of the memories he had from watching prison movies when he was a child. And that kind of makes sense, because if you like, there's a bit of everything, isn't there? You think of kind of prison films, and maybe whilst I'm, we're flagging all the believability of him tunnelling out and not ever being found out, maybe that's the whole point. Like, tunnelling out of a prison was what you saw in so many prison movies, and that was the whole point, to just kind of get it all in there. But... It's like a warm breeze that washes over you. And although it is super dark, it is that tale of hope. And obviously the end of it, you know, once we get outside of prison and we're seeing the blue sky and the fields and the Pacific Ocean and the beach, and it does all come to a, a very optimistic, rewarding end. And with that Morgan Freeman voiceover throughout the entire thing, it did just feel incredibly easy to watch and very satisfying. Mm. I mean, both Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman had done films before this, as we know. And I just can't get over that, you know, Morgan Freeman's been doing films since 1966. Yeah. The first appearance was with Sammy Davis Jr., uh, a man called Adam. He's he's now 83. Yes. And he's still acting. It's amazing. Well, amazing and, uh, chap. There's a few actors like that. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, obviously, you mm. know, his big breakout was Pulp Fiction, but mm. he had been acting for years before that mm. Uh, mm. In, in some quite almost well-respected roles, but he was a, always a relatively minor character. So it's a bit of a shame, really, because, yeah, you think of Morgan Freeman, you think of him as a, a relatively old guy, like you say, Seven and these kind of yeah. films. 
What surprises me though is well, it doesn't surprise me actually. If you read on IMDb, one of like one of one of the first trivia's that they have is that it took them nine hours to do that opening scene with throwing the baseball to each other. Yeah, when Andy, yeah. And Andy and Red were getting to know each other. So Morgan Freeman throwing a ball for nine hours, pretty much, and he didn't complain. He came in the next day and he had a sling on. He must have been absolute agony, but he he's obviously a hard worker and he respects those people around them um so yeah great i mean i i do love this film i do find it a bit raw and dark and gritty and but it is a story of hope and it is very well done and it should have got more oscars i'm going to give it nine and a half out of ten yes just simply because it was slightly too long for me i'm going to give it exactly the same score because it was almost like such a wholesome well-rounded film in all departments but it did feel like you were being told a story the very fact that it was adapted from a book it came across that way and so i suppose that's the only reason i wouldn't give it a 10 because it didn't feel like it had the originality of just a pure screenplay and maybe for me the believability of over 19 years no one ever checking to see whether he'd been tunneling his way out of the prison but in it again well i mean it's nine and a half it's a it's just a beautiful beautiful film isn't it yeah it is right then so christmas top picks oh my god here we go okay we go from very serious to it's christmas it's christmas um so we we are going to pick our top three favorites and i found this really really hard shall i rattle through the films that i've listed go on as then. Ones that I, I like i like frozen die hard one and two arthur christmas home alone muppets christmas carol Elf, Fred Claus, Santa Claus the Movie, Last Christmas, which is a recent film, The Christmas Chronicles from last year, which is a... Uh, wow, you've film. got loads. Miracle on 34th Street, The Holiday. But you can only pick three, Sarah. I know, I know. <laughs> you want to go first or shall I go first? Why don't we... Okay, let's do this. You go for your number three, I'll do my number three, and then let's work our way up to number one. So what's your number three? Number three is Love Actually, which we've already reviewed. Yeah, so I've got Love Actually, and that's an all-star cast with Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Bill Nye, Andrew Lincoln, Alan Rickman, Liam Neeson, Martin McCutcheon, of course, Laura Linney, and, and there are more and more people as well in this film. And it's, it's a good, lovely, sweet film, and lots of different scenarios before Christmas, I guess. Oh, do you know what? This is a shocker. I thought I had my three nailed on and mm. I forgot about Love Actually. Ah, and that was one of your... I know, that I've just suddenly realised. Well, yeah. I gave that quite a high score when we reviewed it. But I think, you know, whatever, that's fine. Go on, There's, what's your number three? What did my you number, write so as your number three? My number three, I don't know if I've got them in any particular order. I've tried to go for three different genre. Okay. So number three is Gremlins. Because Gremlins. I didn't even think about Gremlins. No, there was great, another one. Only because it's like it's got that kind of almost anti-Christmas feel to it because it's just so <laughs> badass. And I watched it with my son recently, who I, I've never seen him laugh so much at a film, especially when the old lady is like fired off the stand lift through the roof of the house and remembering just how dark it is and stripe and used to start smoking cigarettes and throwing knives. And at times it's, it's really quite on the edge, which they got, they got away with in those days. But I, as I say, I, I kind of had forgotten about it. I watched it recently and I thought it was just fantastic. So purely because it's a darker Christmas film, I've gone that for my number three cool i didn't even think of that one so that's a very good film 
Well, that's good that I didn't think of Love Actually, you didn't think of Gremlins. So what's your number two? Well, I've actually got a bit of a thing going on, I think, and it's nice that you haven't done that. I've been debating for number two. I was thinking, do I go for Arthur Christmas or Frozen? Arthur Christmas, Frozen. Arthur Christmas, then I suddenly ping, The Holiday is my number two. And again, it's, it is a romance, like the last one is a bit of a mix and a more romance, I would say, uh, number three was. But yeah, um, Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, and we also have, oh. Oh, it's um, Jack Black. Oh, how can I forget Jack Black, who actually I think steals the show, to be honest. I think Jack Black is fantastic in this. And Eli Walsh. Good, the bad, no, the not, ugly. Yeah. Wallach, sorry, not Walsh. And he he's the old gentleman that wins the, the Writers of Guild Award in the film. Yeah, it's a lovely, sweet film. And you've got the toe rag, which is played by uh, Rufus Sewell in, in it. And um, yeah, uh, it's a good feel-good movie as well, The Holiday. So that's my number two. What about you then, Rob? Number two. Well, I would have put in It's a Wonderful Life, but because we reviewed that, I haven't. But that would have been your top one if we hadn't reviewed it. Probably, but that's fine. I would go with Elf as my number two. (laughs) Because I have a huge soft spot for Will Ferrell. It's unadulterated, (laughs) charming, humour, wholesome, hilarious Christmas film, and it's Will Ferrell. Afternoon Delight. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what that came out of that force it called. Um, oh, Anchorman, uh, Anchorman, that's it. Yeah, afternoon delight, <laughs> afternoon delight. I can't believe you brought up afternoon delight whilst we're doing our, our wholesome Christmas countdown. <laughs> so that's my number uh, two. Classic Elf is, is one of yeah, I do like Elf as well. So, number one, go on, you Actually, go first. I don't think I've got a, a favourite, an ultimate favourite. It's very hard. This, this is one I would like to watch this Christmas and New Year. It's a New Year Christmas one. When Harry Met Sally. Very good choice. Yeah, I wasn't it, expecting that. Uh, so, yeah, so we've got Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, and unfortunately the late Harry Fisher and the late Bruno Kirby in this film. And it's funny. It's a little bit of a plod along as well in some areas, but I really want to watch this again. So 1989, Harry Met Sally. And the reason why I say it's a bit of a mix because you kind of go through all the seasons really, but I think they do home in on Christmas and New Year a little bit more. It's shown on telly normally between the two Christmas and New Year, isn't it? And it also, it's often revered as one of the best romantic comedies that's ever been made. Mm. I mean, it's set the bar, really, from that. And that's a really good choice, actually, because it's a nice film to watch. It is Christmas-themed, but I think that's a film that's on my list, actually, under romance. So that's a great one. I've gone for a a proper conventional Christmas film. Yeah. Because it's probably one I think of a lot. When you think of Christmas, I think of, like, what Christmas means to you when you're growing up as a kid and the kind of things you watched on TV and something, I suppose, that was also very British. So I have gone for The Snowman because Ah, I, I, I have a real love of... Alan Jones. <laughs> <Alan> Jones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely classic. And this, this, this. I wanted to use this stage to declare my undying love for, for Alan Jones. Um, I actually forgot. Yeah, I forgot that he did the. You know, I know it's a bit. I forgot. Obviously, it's. But I like animations where there's little to no dialogue. 
if they're done really well, I find them really, you know, they can completely draw you in. Actually, Noah and I watched a, an animation that was at the cinemas or on a new release. I can't remember what it's called now. And it was, again, one of these animations that had absolutely no dialogue. And I was really curious to know how he would, if, if he would be drawn into it. He was. And so I think for me, it's just the power of fantastic original animation and how often you don't need dialogue or be larger than life characters yeah. to engage you. And it is just, you can't get much Beautifully more Christmas done. Yeah, than, Beautifully than done. The Snowman. So are we reviewing these two films then for over Christmas and then back in the new year with these two? The Snowman and When Harry Met Sally. Why not? Cool. Good. So those are the two we are reviewing. Going to have a bit of a break. And then in the new year, year we're going to maybe look back at some of our hits, as it were. Some of our nine and a halves and tens, maybe, from... I think so. That sounds a great idea. From 2020, sorry. 2019. Okay, 2020. (laughs) My God, it's going to be 2021. That's very strange. 2020 was a bit of a write-off anyway, to be honest. it was. Absolutely. (laughs) Right, so... Excellent. Well, all I can say is I wish everybody... A fantastic Christmas. I know we may be stuck at homes and restricted on meeting up with families, but it's still one to enjoy. So everybody have a fantastic time. And Rob, I wish you a merry, merry Christmas. Absolutely. And as and, and really, I, I'm just be waiting for one of your homemade mince pies to, to be delivered. And a bit I of might car- have to do a little diversion and, and drop one off. Yeah, And a bit of carol singing as well. <laughs> Oh, you're on now. Oh, you you are so on. We are doing Christmas carol singing. The whole family will turn up, rock up at your house. In your Christmas jumper. On the 23rd of December. <laughs> it could be in our bubble. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite weird because I won't be here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Everyone have a fantastic Christmas. It's going to be a yeah. weird one. It's going to be lots of Zoom Christmas do's. But yeah, uh, yeah I hope... Christmas jumpers, and um, I will get a Christmas jumper. Good, and I'm I'm off to get uh, another you know, mince pie. Uh, another <laughs> mince pie? Why not? I didn't have a Christmas drink though. Um, no, I you was... didn't. That was because I haven't got any mulled wine. I'm not a fan of mulled wine. I don't like mulled wine either. No, so it just unfortunately it was just a coffee and a mince pie. Can have a beer? Yeah, or a whiskey, you know. Or a whiskey, yeah, a wee dram. Well, that's what we normally leave out for Santa is a very generous glass of whiskey, and he always finishes it. It's quite astounding. It is amazing. Wow. He must drink a lot of whiskey and eat a lot of mince pies. Let's just say that. He does. He does. Yeah. Oh, bless him. And do you know what? I nearly nearly selected Santa Claus the movie as my top one because that was probably the first film I ever watched. One of the first films I ever watched. First film I ever watched at at cinema was E.T. This was probably the second film I watched at the cinema. Oh, first film we ever watched at the cinema. I think mine was Back to the Future. Oh, I watched that as well. I think that's yeah. one of those. One, do you remember the days when you queued outside the cinema to get in if it was a big film? Yeah, I remember we... queuing outside to get in. But there was also like a big village hall-y place that showed it. Whether that class is a cinema or not, I don't know. But I remember watching Superman as well. Oh. I'm showing my age. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, Merry Christmas, Rob. Merry Christmas. And we'll see everybody. (laughs) We'll see everybody. Well, we won't see them, but you'll hear us again in the new year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. See you next time. (laughs) See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Bye.